Welcome to the Cabin Podcast. I'm Audio Dave. I'm Eric Paulson. And I'm Susan Fausch. Welcome to what will likely become my dog Jack's favorite episode of the year. I was, I'm very of the excited. year because <laughs> last year he got to be the star of Dog Friendly Wisconsin, which was episode. Oh no, my memory's failing oh, me. Oh wow. Oh no. He's always got those. It I happens. always have <laughs> this one is like just late enough. I can't remember the number of it. Uh, Susan, trust me, it happens. I had a smart water on the way over here, and it's clearly not taking. It's clearly not taking. Oh, okay, because I also have one with me right now. It was episode 59, by the way, was Dog uh, Wisconsin. That was yeah. a while ago go. then. Yeah, was, he's he's due for another episode that he can really connect to. But he, he gets to be a partial star of this one. But we have an actual star yeah. for this show, which is oh, thrilling. Mm-hmm. What a get. What a get. <laughs> Shout out to uh, internally on our team, Brett, for uh, for introducing me to this gal because it. I'm so excited for people to hear this interview with her. What a yeah, very treat. cool and unique topic, really. Uh, obviously, perfect for this time of the year. What is it? it's January 11th? We need winter sports. Yeah, absolutely. You know, info. Holidays are and over, and you got to figure out a a way to. Mm-hmm. Stick out the rest of the winter. Yeah, and especially if you have a dog, you're really going to love this episode because we're incorporating your dog into some key winter sports. Mm-hmm. Bear will be thrilled. She doesn't make friends very easily, but she'll be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, shall we, we get, get into, into it? Yeah, we're going to be uh, dog sledding and ski joring and all kinds of cool stuff mm-hmm. in this episode. Let's go. The Cabin is brought to you by the Wisconsin Counties Association, and this week we're featuring Calumet County, Mm. right on the eastern edge of Lake Winnebago, right there between Lake Winnebago and Lake Michigan, home to High Cliff State Park, which is a gorgeous park. Uh, Of course, Lake Winnebago is the largest lake within a single state in the U.S., and the views you get from there, you're on top of the Niagara Escarpment, amazing, phenomenal sunsets, uh, just a great place to check out. Now, Calumet County is the supper club capital of the Midwest, we're proving it, with a Discover Wisconsin piece coming up soon, where I just get to stuff my face multiple times with incredible food. (laughs) In one shoot date? Uh, Well, it was several shoot dates, but it's going to be in a single episode. (laughs) I'm going to look like a pig in this episode. It was wonderful. The burger episode. That they brought up with you. (laughs) But so many supper clubs there. There's a particular... Uh, concentration of them in Calumet County for reasons we asked several of the restaurant tours, and they all had slightly different answers. So it's going nice. to be very interesting. But yeah, if you if you're on a supper club run, Calumet County has so many different great options. There's also uh, in Brilliant, which is home to the Aaron's Corporation, you know, lawnmowers, snow throwers, all kinds of cool stuff. They have a company museum that is amazing. Hmm. If you're ever in Brilliant, it's right along US 10. Just go south and in, in, into town a little bit. The Aaron's County or the Aaron's Company Museum has so many cool things, and there's machinery and stuff that kids can climb on and all over. There's a huge snow globe you can hang out in. It's <laughs> really phenomenal. Uh, Chilton, of course, is the county seat, and uh, that's the home of a bird seed producer, Katie. 
K-A-Y-T-E-E, if you've ever seen them. That's that's where mm. their headquarters is. Now, uh, Chilton, actually the first residents of Chilton were African-American former slaves. Uh, Moses Stanton and his uh, Native American wife, Catherine, they arrived in 1845. They built a sawmill and a grist mill. Uh, the vi- village was called Stantonville originally. And then an Englishman purchased the village from them and renamed it Chillington after a hall in England. And uh, when he sent the name off to the county seat for registration, which was Stockbridge at the time, the ing was accidentally omitted, so it was recorded as Chilton, hmm. and everybody's like, all right, fine, it'll be Chilton. So there you go. Uh, it's wow. also on the border of the Holy Land, which is in part of Calumet County, a little bit into Sheboygan and Fond du Lac counties, too. Lots of beautiful churches known for a distinctive agricultural landscape and a lot of close-knit communities. Uh, German Roman Catholics settled there in the 1840s, and it stayed that way ever since, and they've been calling it the Holy Land since at least 1898. So, uh, And it's also huge for dairy. Hmm. Uh, about 73% of the land in Calumet County is farms, and much of it is used for dairy. So if you're uh, drinking milk and eating cheese, there's a good chance Calumet County played a role. Very nice. Yeah. And The Cabin is also presented by our friends at WCA Group Health Trust, the trusted partner in health, assisting Wisconsin counties, municipalities, and school district employees throughout Wisconsin. This week's Wisconsin Wellness Tip reminds us again that January is National Blood Donor Awareness Month, and there is currently a dangerously low blood Mm -hmm. supply. So uh, if you can, if you are able to... um, Go find a blood drive near you. I know this morning I actually just signed up for an appointment on Wednesday for Madison's like yearly blood nice. drive. Look at so, you, Dave. And you did it because of this ad read. It reminded I, you to donate your blood, right? It, yeah, that's, legiti- <laughs> that's legitimately why I was, I was writing this and I was like, you know what? I should... I should, I should, I walk should the go walk. do that. Yeah, I've gone to the Blood Center of Wisconsin's office. They have one in Milwaukee. I've donated there regularly. I mean, it's it's easy to do. Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. body automatically makes more fresh blood when you're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't hurt. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, you get treats afterwards, and you're helping people. I mean, that's a it's a win win yeah. win 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 win. Plus, yeah. you get a free blood pressure check. There you go. <laughs> free blood pressure. Well, and also too, it's just if you're a healthy person, just go for it. Just go for it. Well. Speaking of that, let's let's talk about something that'll really get your blood pumping. Ooh. Winter sports. Yeah. Being outside in the cold and doing something that just fills you with energy. And, and in this case the happiness of petting dogs. True. Well, in this case, we are going to the dogs. <laughs> Fortunately, we have somebody with us who knows how to handle these dogs and race all the way to a spot on Team USA. So let's light this campfire and get into our special guest. Ah. Well, it's quite toasty for a chilly subject today. Uh, we are so honored to have Nina Baum in not really the cabin with us. We're doing a kind of back to our old days of virtual recordings. Um, mm-hmm. We are so excited to talk to someone who just made Team USA for sled dog racing. Yeah. Uh, born and raised in northern Wisconsin, like so in the heart of the Northwoods. And now you're on your way to Sweden. How exciting is that? It's very exciting. I've been working for 20 years to hit this goal. So it's finally coming to life. Oh my gosh. We are so excited to talk to you about it. Yeah. We're so grateful that you could be here with us because we already wanted to talk about Mm -hmm. skijoring. It's, I haven't been able to shut up about it since I (laughs) learned about it maybe like two years ago. I've Mm -hmm. been wanting to try it, but yeah, to have an expert on it is very awesome. Yeah. So why don't we start there actually for listeners who don't know. So Nina, can you give us first a quick Overview and definition of skijoring versus sled dog racing, and then how obviously you got into this whole thing. 
Yeah. So ski drawing is um, basically you go skate skiing. You can do it with classic skis, but in the competitive realm, you're going to be using skate skis. And then your dog or dogs, so you do up to two dogs, um, are attached to you. And you have sort of like a belt um, harness thing that attaches around your hips and your waist. And then from there, you have a bungee line that connects to your dog via a harness on the dog. And then you ski while they're pulling you. And it's kind of a, you know, for people who just ski, it's sort of this whole new feeling having this extra power then <laughs> behind you or in front of you, I guess it yeah. would be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just uh, this really cool way to experience skiing. I always describe it as downhill skiing but on cross-country skis oh, <laughs> that's yes. how it feels but without yeah. gravity it's dogs yes. pulling you <laughs> exactly okay. it's, it's interesting it's fascinating to witness because you're watching it, it is like sled dogging except you're on skis and there's only yeah one or two dogs mm-hmm. how do you learn to control that <laughs> um, I don't know that you always have control. No. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so they always said with us ski drawers, no brakes, no brains. Because uh, at least with a sled, you have a brake. Um, oh, with sure. ski- skiing, you know, you can snowplow or your form of braking is to fall, <laughs> I guess, if it's a really emergency situation. That's always but- been my strategy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're deemed the crazy ones <laughs> in the dog sledding world. How wow. do you slow down when you're ski drawing? Uh, you snowplow and you really hope your dogs listen to you and, uh, you've trained really good voice commands yeah. <laughs> and usually, you know, you can teach, um, you can snowplow, which puts more resistance on the line. So the dogs can feel that extra weight. And then I'll usually grab the line and kind of pull myself up closer to them and then they'll kind of back off and slow down. But yeah, mm. I mean, you don't really want to stop when you're racing because going to add more time <laughs> yeah so when, when they feel right. a tug when they feel a tug they kind of know it's they know they okay. should back off a little uh, you know I, I watched this up in land lakes at yes. the uh, blizzard blast mm-hmm. and it was fascinating yeah. I, mean, I did the sled dog thing for like 200 feet and they, mm-hmm. she showed me this break which looked like a medieval torture device <laughs> but you don't you don't have that with ski joring but these dogs you know, they, they cart them around in these hot boxes and they're all in these tiny little hot boxes, just snugly all warm. And then they get out and they just can't wait to run. Yeah. Tell us about these dogs, their breed. How do you train them? How do you get them to be so amped up for running all the time? Well, I mean, it's, if you think of like a Labrador, it gets super excited to play fetch, right? So it's the same exact concept with the sled dogs. And so there's a lot of different realms of dog sled racing. There's sprint racing, there's mid distance racing, and then distance racing. When you talk dog sledding, most people think I did a rod right away, mm-hmm. and that, but that's mm-hmm. a thousand mile race. You know, that's a very select group of people who do that. And you have more of the Huskies um, that people are used to seeing. But when you get into the sprint racing, which is what I'm in with the ski joring, you know, you're doing five five to 10 miles, you're going to have a lot more hounds. You're going to see a lot of greyhound and German short hair pointer crosses, which is what my dogs are. They don't have much fur on them. (laughs) It looks, people are always shocked. They're like, wait, you run with those? Like you dog sled with them? They look like hunting dogs. (laughs) Well, I can hunt with them too, if I wanted to, but, um, so do you have to put coats on them? I do. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yep, yep, I was going to say they work up some heat, I'm sure, doing yeah. all that yeah. running, but man, you need some fur. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. it depends on the temperature, obviously, but if it's warmer out, then they don't need coats because they're running, they're going to heat up. But, you know, if it gets down into those single digits and stuff, um, I have special coats that go on that'll like cover their belly where they don't have as much fur um, to keep from, you know, any sort of uh, freezing or anything like that. So mm. we really do take really good care of them. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and asking selfishly, 
How would a border collie Australian shepherd mix do in the world of skijoring? <laughs> so the best part about skijoring is you can do it with any dog you want. Okay, as long as okay. they want to run and they want to stay out in front of you, you can do it. It's just a matter of how competitive you'll be. Sure. <laughs> how about two hyper dachshunds? Because <laughs> it would be the funniest look. <laughs> my uh, my very energetic German Shepherd, I'm sure would love it. But Nina, so going back to this, so okay, so you use one to two dogs for skajoring. How many dogs do you use, and can you give us an overview on sled dog racing? Yeah. So with this, when you bring in the sled, um, there's different classes in the sprint world. You're running anywhere from two dogs up to about. 10 or 12 dogs. Uh, so there's kind of a variety. The more dogs you have, the further you're going to go. So mm -hmm. with the two dog sled class, you know, you're not going to do more than three miles. Um, with the four dog sled class, you're going to be anywhere between that four to six miles. And then like eight and 10 are going to be eight miles plus some. Um, and usually the longest is going to be about 15, 18 miles max that you're going to see. Okay. Gotcha. And what are you competing in when you head to Sweden? So I'll be competing in two events, actually. Okay. Uh, I'll be competing in the two dog sled class and uh, in the ski jor class as well. Oh my gosh. That's cool. so exciting. So, I, and I know I asked this earlier and we got a little sidetracked, but can you tell us how you got into this period? Because again, you are born and raised in like Northern Wisconsin. You said like a, an hour above Rylander. So how did you get from there to this massive goal? So I grew up on a dairy farm, mm -hmm. typical, you know, Wisconsinite <laughs> here. <laughs> um, and We're not following stereotypes at all. Are <laughs> <we>? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, animals were always part of our life. We had dogs and cows, chickens, cats, you know, everything and horses. My sister, who's nine years older than me, really loved um riding horses, but she had gotten in some bad horse accidents. So my parents were trying to encourage other hobbies <laughs> and other sports for us to get into. And so we heard about a dog sled race in Park Falls, which was only about 50 minutes from where we lived. So we figured why not go watch it, see what it's all about. So I went and watched it with my sister and we thought it was the coolest thing ever. I'm like, this looks like so much fun <laughs> and it just looks so exciting. And for some reason, my parents thought that would be safer than riding horses. <laughs> I'm not just sure wondering how we about that. that. I was gonna say, it sounds very high risk, high reward. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, somehow we convinced them. And then of course, you know, our neighbor down the road had a litter of husky puppies. Mm. Yeah, just it was meant to be, right? So then we got one of those husky puppies. He was a terrible race dog, but <laughs> he's what got us started. And then, um, you know, we got a couple more dogs after that. And then we sort of got into it, started racing, started learning. You know, there was a lot of trial and error. There were a lot of crashes. There were you know, yeah. a lot of um, not finishing a race because, you know, we just didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> then we, we got some mentors and met people um, in the mushing world. And, and now I am a mentor to other people and going to world championships. Oh and so you've been doing ski joring in particular for how long? Okay. So I've been dog sled racing for 20 years since I was six years old. Wow. And I've been ski joring probably for about 12, 10 years. Okay. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And how many are on the team that is going to the international competition? We have seven people wow. on Team USA. Mm. Yep. Oh my gosh. This That's is which, which, by the way, I'm not sure that we've said this yet, but congratulations. That's so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. That's crazy. 
So with ski joring, what conditions tend to be best? I mean, the dogs don't want to run on the grass, right? They only want to run on the snow. If there's like barely a coating on the ground, are they just as excited as if there's huge amounts? Do they know to stay on the packed down trails? How does that, it sounds like it's so wide open with so many possibilities mm -hmm. for it to not go the way you want it to go. How do you get it to be something you can control? Mm. <laughs> control, I don't know about that now. <laughs> so really with the ski joring, a lot of people go on just like what are already ski trails. A lot of ski trails in the region have added dog friendly loops and stuff. So you can take your dog on them, which is really nice. It's becoming really popular. So a lot of places are starting to add it as a feature and really you just want a nice groomed trail. You don't want like, you know, big bumps and stuff. Cause you know, you're going so fast. If you hit something really uneven or mm -hmm. unexpected, it's going to cause you a crash. Um, it could catch you unexpected, you know, catch you off guard and everything. And so, you know, you want some good snow cover. I always say you want what a normal skier is going to want <laughs> really. <laughs> and obviously you want it to be dog friendly area, um, wide trails. So you can pass people cause you're going to pass people. And, um, you know, temperature is a big factor too. You don't want it to be super hot. Um, cause the dogs can overheat too. They'll, they'll acclimate to the temperatures and stuff. So if you have a really, really warm day, you want to be critical of how far you're going and um, how much work they're doing. Cause you don't want them to overheat. But then, like I said, these dogs don't have much fur. So if it's really, really cold, like, you know, if we're in the negative temperatures, you gotta be really careful too. Cause you don't want them getting frostbite or anything like that either. Yeah, that hot box that they hang out and travel in. I mean, that really partially is designed to keep their core temps up, right? Mm. Yes, it is. Yep. Mm -hmm. There'll be straw dog beds in them and everything. So it's designed to keep their um, temperature in there. They're insulated often and it really helps keep the dogs warm and comfortable before and after racing. That way their muscles don't tense up or anything or get sore. It keeps them nice and limber and everything too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Speaking of those dogs though, you said, you know, these aren't just like your racing dogs in the sense of like they're like coworkers, like these are your dogs. Like you live with them, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're your yep. your pets. <laughs> yeah, I own four dogs. Uh, they live in my house with me. <laughs> I have a I have a fenced in backyard that they can go in and out of whenever they want through the dog door. They jump on my couch. Um, one of them insists on sleeping under the covers <laughs> with me. <laughs> she gets cold at night. Apparently, <laughs> she's the only one allowed to do that. Though I'm like that'd be too much <laughs> for everyone else. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. That's super cute though, but I love that because you said you've you've had way more dogs at any given point, correct? Yes. Uh, back when I, you know, lived on the farm with my parents as a teenager and stuff, we were at a point where we had 15 dogs. Uh, that's when we did more mid-distance racing. So you need more dogs for that. Mm. You need at least a six-dog team to do mid-distance racing. And that's another reason why I really like the sprint racing is you can get away with just having one dog and you can compete or two dogs is really ideal. Cool. Now, there's a certain phrase that when I was watching people ski joring, they mm -hmm. kept saying the same word over and over. And it wasn't, maybe it was mush. I forgot what it was, but they kept saying a same word, like it, to the dogs mm -hmm. to get well, them to keep going. And is there other, is there terminology you use when you're in the middle of ski joring? Definitely. And mush is not one of them. Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, it was, it was something Scandinavian sounding, you know, or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, no, but, um, I could give you some of it. There's kind of a universal uh, commands and language for the dog racing, but yeah, mush is only a thing they did in the movies. So okay. it's completely false and inaccurate. Nobody says that, but, um, when you want a dog to go, so when you're starting, you would say hike 
and then that gets them to go. If you want them to turn right, you would say G. If you want them to turn left, you would say Ha. Um, and a lot of times, like if you're coming to an intersection where they have options or you're going to pass a team or pass people, you would say on by or straight ahead. Um, there's a couple variations on that one. And then um, the other one is whoa, but the dogs don't always listen to that one. <laughs> what are we, Joy Lawrence here from the 90s? Whoa. <laughs> That's an old reference. Sorry. But. Yeah, it might be before my time. <laughs> so there is a lot of uh, unique terminology particular to ski joring. Well, I mean, yeah, you're going to use all the the main dogs of racing commands like on by and G and haw and everything. I mean, I wouldn't say there's really anything for commands that's different from, you know, running a sled. Oh, it's so they're, they're the interchangeable mm-hmm. between the two. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it's very universal. Um, you know, if you do go to Europe, though, they will just do their... It is pretty universal, though, actually, even in other countries where you speak different languages. So. What about Ambaya I kept hearing or something? It was just, it was yeah. a word. I'm like, that's not English <laughs> or something that I understand. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I found that kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. So the dogs speak uh, Swedish or whatever. Yeah. Like I'll say, a lot of times I'll say, let's go. Um, if I kind of want them to pick up their speed, um, be like, okay, let's go. And then they'll kind of pick up or, you know, get really excited. Like if we're almost to the end of the race, I'll say, let's go home. So then they, mm. that, they know that that means we're almost done. So they'll usually give it a little bit more nice. right at the end. That's interesting. I would love to talk more about like the dog training involved. How long do you typically spend with a dog before you're kind of feeling comfortable enough to compete with them? Are you raising them from puppies or? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So two of my four I raised uh, from being puppies and then two I got as adults. But the process of training, you're not really going to be racing a dog until they're at least a year old. Um, You want all of their growth plates to finish forming. So you don't want to create any sort of joint issues or anything like that. Put too much strain on them. But you can do training. You can do light training. You know, they can pull a tire. They can pull objects and stuff to just get used to having that feeling, um, getting used to having something behind them. You know, a lot of times dogs will kind of hear something behind them they can kind of freak out, but then they just kind of got to get used to it. And you start really doing a lot of that conditioning after a couple months mm-hmm. and stuff. You just start, start, you know, just throw a harness on them and let them like sit in it and feel it and everything. Or they can free run with you while you're running some other dogs and training them so they can run next to you and kind of get the idea and feel for it. Like I just um, raised a puppy. She's now just a little over a year old and she is dynamite and she's killing it <laughs> at all the races. <laughs> she had a fantastic race season with me for the fall. Um, there's also dry land racing, but I won't get us into that because that's a whole nother subject. Well, I did kind of want to talk about that just to ask, like, how do you keep the teams fresh in the off season when you don't have snow? Are, are yeah. there like certain exercises that you can kind of simulate it with? I'm sure yeah, they so want we, to run in the summer. Yeah, right? they do. So we do dry land training or dry land racing. It's now because it dry land training, um, you know, was formed to kind of create the, keep the dogs in shape in the off season. And then that turned into its own version of racing as well now, cool. which is really cool. Uh, so I will take like my mountain bike and I'll hook one or two dogs up to that and they'll pull me, uh, which is a lot of fun as well. <laughs> um, Sounds like an yeah. easier way to mountain bike. Yeah. Tell you <laughs> yeah uh, or people will hook dogs up to like the four-wheeler um, and then run the four-wheeler behind them and stuff. And okay. so there's a lot of different ways to train your dog in the off season. Must be quite cool. a diet you have to have them on because there's a lot of calories they need to do all that. Yes. You want them on high performance dog foods with high fat and high protein contents just because they are burning through so many calories and everything. So you need that fuel and then you want it to be high quality because, you know, they're very mm-hmm. active. A lot of poor quality dog foods will have, um, 
like ground bone in them and stuff, which can, if you have an active dog can actually cause internal bleeding in the intestines and stuff. So you really want to make sure of high quality, high quality food. So you never thought of trying this with cats? <laughs> you know, some people have. Really? That doesn't oh, yeah. surprise me Wonder, at all. Sounds like you wouldn't go very pack far. Of cats but, yeah. you would need to get you to move. I mean, that's when people will do it on like classic skis. Yeah. <laughs> and then their cat will be. Ski or if you have like a, a small dog, like a terrier, there a lot of people will do classic skiing with like their little terrier. It'll run more next to them, not necessarily pulling them. But oh my God. <laughs> if you can't have your dog off leash, it's a great option. Yeah. Yeah. Cats can get catty. Dogs will often support each other. I, I assume if they're on a team, right? Oh yeah. I mean, it's a it is a team sport. I mean, so they have to get along. They have to want to run with each other. Can you kind of everything. sense communication between them? Like, oh, definitely. Hey, pick it up. I'm running harder. So should you? Or anything oh, yeah. like that? Or, <laughs> or do you think they ever look at each other and you're like, I think they're thinking, Hey, you want to tour somewhere? She doesn't want to go. Let's go. Definitely. They ha- they love to pull me into the woods. <laughs> oh There's been a couple times where like a squirrel goes right oh, across the, the trail oh, and they're like, oh, and then next thing I know, I'm in a tree. Yeah. <laughs> I so swear, I don't understand why my parents thought this would be safer than horseback riding. <laughs> so the quality of like the dogs working together seems like a really vital part. What's the breakdown of if there's a really successful sled team? What percentage of that do you think is a skilled, like, dog sledder? What, what's the term versus just, like, good dogs? Yeah, so I always say that I am a mediocre skier with really fantastic dogs. Okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, they, I mean, I, I have the dogs of a lifetime right now, the team of a lifetime. So I'm like, I'm never going to get a team this good again. The chemistry is there. They all get along. Three of them are actually related. So you have that too, which is really nice. They have similar builds. They pull in a really similar fashion. It's just very cohesive and in sync. And because, you know, I've raised them from puppies and stuff or worked really hard with them, even the ones I bought as adults. We just have this connection. We're very in sync. My one dog, Molly, who is my main dog, who I've been all over the world with, we just, she can read my mind. Like I barely even have to tell her commands. She can <laughs> feel when I start to lean a certain way and she knows we're going to turn that way. Or she could just the body language is there. It's really hard to describe, but like when you work with a dog wow. that much, you really get to know each other and you really get to know all the little nuances of everything. So you, you create this really responsive and cohesive team. And so when you have like this really quick response, no hesitation, you're going to have really fast times. You know, you, you can get around those corners quickly. You can make these turns and there's no hesitation from the dog. So it, it really is a, it's a partnership for sure. Oh, that's a, that so sounds cool. incredible. Yeah. I can't get my dog to <laughs> do very simple tasks. She's very, she's very cute, but she's very stupid for a German shepherd. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, it, it is almost like a full-time job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, even when we're not training like out on the trail per se in the house, I'm I'm doing simple obedience things with them, just simple tasks, teaching them how to sit, stay, lay, shake, high five, just anything to mentally stimulate them, anything to just get them to mm-hmm. <laughs> engage and do something. Well, this that cool. actually is a great question. I can imagine the amount of work that you would put into something like this, again, becoming a member of like Team USA, but you still hold a different full-time job. That's actually not yeah. your full-time <laughs> job, which is surprising. Oh, yeah, that's right. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so luckily I have a job that's really supportive and they allow me mm-hmm. to flex, which is really nice. So like in the wintertime, like I like to train when it's light out. So if I can, I'll do, and I have ski trails right out of my backyard mm-hmm. now that are dog nice. friendly. So that's really convenient. So on my lunch break, I can go out for a quick ski, you know, and if I need like 15 more minutes, then I'll just work 15 minutes later that day and stuff. So it, I'm lucky to have mm-hmm. a, a supportive job. <laughs> yeah, where are you out of now? I work at Nicolay College. Um, I do their social media and digital marketing and video production. Very nice. That's yeah. what a multi-talented uh, woman you are. That's so fun. <laughs> so I, I assume you strap a few GoPros on on your oh, trips. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That must make for some amazing video. Yeah. With the dogs and I've got and my and GoPro the... right here. So <laughs> that's just awesome. using it. <laughs> Actually, so that's wow. kind of an interesting question, being that you are located still in, in the Northwoods. Do you have, I'm sure your winters are jam-packed just with training and and doing these competitions, mm-hmm. but do you have any other like winter activities that you like to enjoy at a more leisurely pace? Um, so I just enjoy skiing in general okay. without my dogs. I also really enjoy fat tire biking. Uh, really ice skating is a really big thing mm-hmm. for me. I have a, um, a large pond, small lake in my backyard that I will clear and then flood for skating <laughs> in the winter, which is always a blast. So really anything that gets me outdoors and keeps me active, I enjoy doing. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. And have you noticed skidoring and dog sledding kind of growing in popularity, like um, among the non? competitive crowd? Yeah. So actually through Nicolay College, um, they have an outdoor adventure program and I teach a ski drawing class every year cool. uh, in conjunction with a, uh, a ski class as well. So we go to Monaco Winter Park and they have mm. an instructor that'll teach the people how to ski first. And then I do the second half and then I, you know, bring in the dog <laughs> and be like, now this is how you add a dog and how you ski chore. And that class has been really popular and I get a lot of people who sign up for it and they're all they're all, you know, at the recreational level, they just want a way to get out with their dogs and have fun because it's more fun to go skiing with your dog (laughs) and stuff. So I have, yeah, a lot of people signing up for that. A lot of people are interested, you know, and a lot more of the trail systems in the area, like I said, are adding dog friendly loops and stuff for ski drawing, just because there is becoming more of a demand for it. Like the trails behind my house did not allow dogs when I first moved here. And, you know, I approached them and I got a whole group of people together who had said, yeah, we would love it if you would allow ski joring. You know, we're all looking for a good tr- place to train. And because there's such demand for it, they now opened it up for ski joring. And is it too late to sign up for that class? <laughs> like how no, do the not. rest of us learn how to ski <laughs> Yeah, it is in January. Oh, uh, cool. So it's coming out yeah, right in the beginning of January. It is on January 7th. Um, it's just a Friday. So it's in the afternoon. So hopefully making it easy for people to get off work and come. Um, yeah. And it's, it's two hours long and you get to actually try ski drawing as part of the class. It's really fun. It's not just me showing you, but I go through all the equipment you need. I explain all the equipment. Harness fit is a really big thing with dogs that newbies mm. get wrong a lot is they get the harness that doesn't fit a dog correctly. And then that can cause issues too. So you want your dog to be comfortable and you want the harness to fit right. Cause then they can pull harder. And so I go over all of those details with people and um, talk to them about proper care, nutrition and everything everything. And then I do a demo and then people get to try it. (laughs) I'll let them, people can bring their own dog and try, or they can try with one of my dogs. And so I let them go and have fun. (laughs) Cool. So listeners, by the time this comes out, will have unfortunately missed that January 7th date, but uh, there's (laughs) always next year. Mm -hmm. And there were some other places that I had seen that um, you can 
learn. I don't know if you can speak to any of these, but um, Justin Trails B&B Resort in Sparta apparently yeah. teaches people ski drawing and stuff. And then the Minocqua Winter Park, yeah. I saw lessons. Yes. Yeah. And Minocqua Winter Park actually at the end of the season, um, in conjunction with one of their other fun ski races, has a ski drawer class cool. as well for people to compete in. And it's, and it's, it's a fun race. So you can be competitive or you can be novice and recreational and still compete in it. So it's not like you have to be, you know, at an expert mm-hmm. level. And that's how a lot of the races are too. So if someone is just getting into it recreationally, you can go to a race. You do not have to be a professional at it. Just when you sign up, you would pick, you know, the sportsman's or novice division, and then you're put into that class so that, that they know kind of where to position you and everything. So you can still come to a race and compete, even if you're not like, you know, an expert. Cool. (laughs) That's awesome. And Nina, how can people support you when you're obviously competing in early 2022? Oh gosh. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, obviously sponsorships are always fantastic, but really we, (laughs) I really just watch, just watch it and spread the word and share it. You know, we'll be streaming on social media and everything Mm -hmm. uh, because it's in Europe. We probably won't get as much television coverage here in the U S but you know, we will be live streaming and everything too. So just watch, share with your friends and family. That's really all we want. (laughs) And where can people follow you? Uh, Instagram is probably the best. Uh, my handle is Nina, the adventurous. And that's two eyes in Nina. It is two eyes. Two yes. Eyes. Well, and we'll also obviously tag you and everything on the cabin yeah. social. So if you can't find her, yeah. come to the cabin. We will have tagged her so you can follow her from there as well. Yeah. Pretty cool. So, yeah. And uh, I just wanted to put out there for other people looking to go watch the sport, just see if it's for you. Uh, we had assembled a small list of events that happen in Wisconsin. Um, the Barky Berkey mm-hmm. in Hayward, part of the Berkebiner. Um, mm-hmm. The Barky Berkey. <laughs> The Madison Winter Festival, apparently, um, they have sled dog races. Uh, Merrill mm-hmm. Winterfest. Yep. Three Bear Sled Dog mm-hmm. Race in Land O'Lakes is a pretty big one. And that's part of the Blizzard Blast that they oh, okay, often yeah. have. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then uh, apparently the Apostle Islands is like a huge deal in the mm. sled dog world, right? That's mainly yeah, how they but... get around up there in the winter. You know? <laughs> You know, that has been a very popular race, and I used to compete in that, but I don't think it's happening this year, oh, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, 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 I think check due all to the some, websites. Yeah. yeah, I think due to some logistical stuff, they weren't able to have it this year. But um, Rhinelander is actually going to oh. have its first dog sled and ski draw race. Ooh, Are they going to cool. call and it the Hodag ski drawing race? <laughs> no. The Ho-Dog. <laughs> the Ho-Dog. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Rhinelander, you've got your brilliant idea. Audio Dave. Credited to Audio Dave. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm planning it, so I'll take that. (laughs) There we go. Well, that's so exciting. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So there are quite a few races just right here in Wisconsin and kind of spread out, too. I mean, we have a lot right here in kind of north central Wisconsin. Obviously, there's like a really nice hub for it because we have guaranteed snow all the time. (laughs) But, um, you know, there are some of these more one-off races and the other areas too and it just go watch it's super fun i mean it's a really cool sport to see and plus you get to pet dogs yeah Yeah. oh my gosh well nina this has been such a treat thank you again for taking the time to to chat with us this has been awesome yeah yeah i love to share so uh if there's anything else you want to know just feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to share or do demos or whatever you want. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> Sounds great. You heard it here first, cabin listeners. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks All so right. much, Nina. Thanks, Nina. Thank, Thank you. you. That was How so fascinating cool. was that? Yeah. yeah. 
I hope by the time this airs, I will have gone to that class. Uh, <laughs> well, we're going to want to hear about that. And let us yeah. know, Dave. <laughs> yeah. I've done dog sledding on the show, like I mentioned to Nina, like for a couple hundred feet. Mm-hmm. That was very exciting and very cool. But I can't imagine. I mean, I had that whole basket thing you're behind and everything with a dog sled. Yeah. When you're, it's just you and a pair of skis and some ski poles. Mm-hmm. And then... You know, your bungee cords and the dogs. Yeah. I mean, you're out there. I can't imagine that, but it looks so cool. I did try to practice a little bit this summer with Jack on the the leash. I would hook him on my belt and then go on rollerblades and we would oh, hit, the, hit the trails. That's a good summer version of it. Yeah. He loved it. <laughs> he was just like, what? I can go faster and faster and faster? <laughs> Eventually I had to lean on the brakes a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, very, very exciting stuff. I thought she was so cool. And just the idea that you would be good enough at anything to make Team USA is just yeah. crazy. Um, so. Super congrats to her. We definitely will mm-hmm. be following along when she is in Sweden. But do you know what's not in Sweden but is just as informative? College. College. You at UW Platteville. <laughs> I'm not sure that they have a scajoring. Truly program. one of your best transitions. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a transition that is. Uh, I Do you never know said. what's not in Sweden? You know what's in <laughs> Norway? Finland? What are we talking here? I never said I was an expert. I don't know who gave me this job, okay? <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, now that down. we've gotten an education in ski joring, let's talk about an affordable education <laughs> at a place right here in Wisconsin. Now you're just Thank showing her up. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> Particularly if you are looking for a graduate program, a professional certificate, anything like that, I love the idea of doing it at UW Platteville because it is one of the most affordable UW schools, you know, in our whole system. But they also, um, they all of their programs can be done online while you're working a full time job. If you have a family, if you have any other kind of responsibilities that you're dealing with, it doesn't have to take all of your time. It can be a great thing that you're doing um, for yourself on your own time. And like we said, it's incredibly affordable. Uh, very, really specifically, if you're interested for anything in engineering or project management, I mean, UW Platteville is the place to go. Pretty sweet option, mm-hmm. especially in a new year when you have those resolutions and you're like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a better person this year. I say that every year and most of the time it doesn't happen, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, well, but also, I've got to get a vision board like Susan. I should. Ooh, so I many should. things. But also, I don't know. I think about the, we've heard so much about like not just the labor like shortages and like the great resignations, but people are also just straight up like taking this time and a lot of our pandemic realizations to fully switch careers. So mm-hmm. that's also on the board for you, <laughs> your vision board or uh, just in your <laughs> general idea. Eric, uh, again, mm-hmm. great option to do it. You can get a totally different skill set, probably make more money, go somewhere else, and all of that can start for you right here at UW Platteville. UWP.edu? <laughs> UW Platt at EDU. Platt. UW Platt with, with two, two T's, T's, by the way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you. Well, that was one of my best uh, ad reads ever. Eric, would you like to show me up one more time? (laughs) Sure, why not? (laughs) You know, another big New Year's resolution I do every year is I vow to take more road trips because half of my uh, career is based on road trips. And it is January. It's great for setting those goals and travel bucket lists for the year. But you got to watch with the weather and other distractions, it can be treacherous for safe driving conditions. So our friends from the Wisconsin Department of Transportation want to remind us once again of the stark importance of buckling up and putting that phone down while driving. Those simple steps will help you get to your destination safely and protect other drivers on the road while you're at it. So you can take the buckle up phone down pledge 
and hold yourself and others accountable. Talk with your coworkers, talk with business leaders, talk with friends, and take that Buckle Up Phone Down pledge together to make sure that you stay safe while on the road. You can find out more just by heading to wisconsindot.gov slash B-U-P-D for Buckle Up Phone Down to take the pledge. All right. Another review of the week coming from Apple Podcasts this week. This one is from Joe from Wisconsin. (laughs) Thanks for writing, Joe. Uh, Joe says, great podcast about Wisconsin. Started listening just before the pandemic and haven't missed an episode since. I've lived in Wisconsin most of my life and still learn things to do or see listening to the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Joe. That's awesome. Thanks for reviewing. Just before the pandemic means you've been with us almost from the beginning there, Joe. Yeah, basically so. yeah. almost the entire we, life of we the We started of the this podcast. podcast just before the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> so perfect timing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And a so fun much. news. Uh, this is like we're recording this quite a bit earlier, but officially, friends, Apple Podcasts is not the only place you can give us a five-star rating. You can also officially oh, yeah. do it in Spotify. Mm-hmm. You can't leave a review, mm-hmm. but you can leave us a five-star rating. And uh, that's just, that's heckin' exciting, if I've ever heard it. <laughs> Spotify is getting better and better for getting your podcasts. Absolutely. Yeah. I like it a lot. You got I mean, that, you got iHeartRadio and all that. Mm-hmm. So many great options for us. I just switched from an iPhone to an Android, and I've been kind of like playing around with my options mm-hmm. for what I want to use as my main podcast source, and I think I'm going to go with Spotify. Cool. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Spotify, pay me for saying that. <laughs> Spotify, pay <laughs> us for existing. <laughs> Boy, we're getting kind of, uh, okay. Uh, make sure you join us next week. I promise we won't be as greedy. Uh, we're going to be we're gonna be talking about with, with cider. Is that the word we created for this? Wisconsin cideries and meaderies. uh, (laughs) We're basically going to ferment next week, and it's going to be wonderful. So make sure you join us. I'm sorry. My transitions are bad, but he just said we're going to ferment next week. (laughs) It's all about fermentation. It doesn't sound enjoyable at all. Cider, cider, mead. It's all about the fermentation. Okay. (laughs) And as we wrap it up here, a quick message from the All of Us Research Program, because the All of Us Research Program has a simple mission. They want to speed up medical breakthroughs. To do this, they're asking people across America to share their unique health information to create the largest, most diverse medical research program ever. The mission is an important one because the more information researchers have, the faster they can create individualized prevention, precise treatment options, and better care for all of us. Together, let's make this mission achievable. Details at joinallofus.org slash discoverwi. Today's episode of The Cabin was hosted by Eric Paulson, Dave Janice, and me, Susan Foch, with guest host Nina Baum. Produced by me and Audio Dave with video editing by River Sparks and social media by me and Courtney Haas. The Cabin is a production brought to you by Discover Media Works. To learn more, head to discovermediaworks.com. And don't forget to leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And here's this week's installment of Know Your Wisconsin. The Great Lakes comprise 84% of North America's surface freshwater. At UW-Green Bay's Aquatic Ecology and Fisheries Laboratory, students and faculty are well-situated to dedicate themselves to studying one of the greatest freshwater systems on the planet. We really try to do three things, and do three things quite well. One, we do research. We also teach a lot within the lab itself. We promote a lot of service. We have students 
that are clearly there to learn how to work as a professional scientist in the field. Interacting with our collaborators, say from the Fish and Wildlife Service, they're giving presentations, they're talking about their data. With the hands-on experience that UW-Green Bay offers, students are personally seeing the impact that we make on these aquatic ecosystems. Aquatic ecosystems are naturally intricate, as they are, and we as people interfering in those systems complicates things even farther. So I find the interactions just absolutely fascinating. Everything that happens on the land will eventually be reflected in the water. I really would like to become a biologist or an aquatic ecologist so I can continue preserving the diversity and integrity of aquatic ecosystems while also facilitating human enjoyment of those ecosystems, fishing and recreation. This program is really interesting because we also have the policy aspect to it. Policies drive the research priorities in many cases, um, so it's really important for policies to reflect the conservation goals. Regardless of your connection with UW-Green Bay, the work being done by the Aquatic Ecology and Fisheries Lab is having an impact on the everyday lives of Wisconsinites. Our impact on the public in general is really important to us. How when we're studying a fish population, that information can be translated to the local fishermen and people that are interested in knowing about more about the natural resources in their backyard. If we can get everybody on the same page to understand those things, then we can do something really great for the ecosystem. And now you know you're Wisconsin.